apparently the, the soil composition in Manchuria is what makes it uh, good for uh, poppies. Well, it's going to be that. It's going to be the parallel that it sits on because of the temperate zone. Because you cannot grow poppies in areas that it is incredibly cold. You actually have to have some heat to grow poppies. So they're able to, to sort of like dominate the That's trait. the total um, number of steps you're allowed to give for opium growth on the podcast before we have to edit it out. Next week, like, if we you, have steps two and like, three. It's like a show where like they build a bomb. Like You can't <laughs> tell me exactly how to do it or else we're going to get a call. You just have to be like, look, you need cordite, you need tannonite, you need nails, and next week, tune in and I'll tell you how to make the casing. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve along with the other Steve. Hey. And Ryan. I really hate myself. What you? What, what did you do? That's the weirdest beer you've ever opened. Um, so it just all I heard it say sour apple. All I heard it say was I hate myself. Oh my god! <laughs> Probably pick it up on your recording. Oh yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. So what you want to do, bud? Is you want to get some ice and you want to just sit on that ice? Oh god, no, no! I don't want anything. I want to go throw up. If you throw Four loco is two for five dollars. I bought that black cherry Four loco hard seltzer, and I drank half a can, <laughs> and uh, I spent the first like ten minutes saying, "Man, why did I spend money on this?" And then I spent the next like hour just saying, "This is fucking. This shouldn't be legal." Like why? Like how strong is this? It's fourteen percent, and it's not even strong. Like the old Four Loco was much worse because it had oh it had like mahuang in it or some shit. Yeah, and it had like fucking meth in it too. Oh god! <laughs> just people getting high. Speaking that's of people, Loco. Speaking of people getting high, who the fuck are we talking about? That's, that's actually related to what we're going to be talking about because today we're going to start talking about the the puppet nation of Manchu Kuo. Oh, Manchukuo. Oh, nice. Oh. Episode 50, baby! <laughs> it's just episode 50 forever. <laughs> Jake is going to be really upset with us. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Steve's friend Jake was like, I wish you guys would label them right or something, like, way, way back when we first started. <laughs> so listen, does Manchu Woke relate to the, the Manchu Woke that's in the Orlando International Airport oh, that on. does, like, fucking the Chinese stir-fry? Oh. No. Oh, okay. Never mind. Different Manchu woke. Oh, that's Manchu walk. My it's, bad. It's Manchu. Manchu walk. It's Manchu quo. K U O. Oh, quo. quo. It should be. It it should be. Uh. Uh. Man. Manjo. Uh. Manjo. Uh. Guo. In in like modern pronunciation. Ah. Uh, okay. Um. Which essentially means like nation of the Manchus. I was gonna ask you if it was a Manchu vibe going there because you said Manchu. <laughs> Ryan, let me open a regular beer for you here. Ah, there you go. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. <laughs> Next Coast IPA is Bogo at Publix right now if you're in Orlando. What is it? Next Coast IPA. It's a uh, no. okay. Goose, From Island. Goose Island. I love it, dude. I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's literally a baby's first IPA, but it's 7%, and it's Bogo, so can't go wrong. Mm. I also got the new White, uh, white Claw Pack, which has uh, blackberry, strawberry, and pineapple. And it was fucking great. Oh, man. They don't have those here in Gainesville yet. They need to tighten up. No way. They're just out. You're in Gainesville. <laughs> but let me tell you something. I can't even find the White Claw Surges. White Claw Surge? 
the eight percent. The, the, yeah, it's the the double the double big boy alcohol. Uh, I was gonna say last yeah. time I saw the word surge on a drink, it was in the nineties in a comic book. Like, and it was it was neon green. That green ass green <laughs> drink. You can still get it, or you could for a while. Yeah, they brought it back, but then you know the kids that were in the hospitals that are literally bubble boys <laughs> from drinking it in the nineties. <laughs> they sued. It was like fun. They had to take it off the market after they all went blind. It's yep. like Nuka Cola. I think has an expiration date of like twenty six hundred. I have one of those somewhere. Oh Jesus! A Nuka Cola. The um, no, I have a Nuka Cola Quantum because Jones Soda. Yeah, I have one too. Jones Soda put it out. I'm always contemplating like just getting rid of it but i can't i love fallout yeah no, i would, you I would not drink it no i definitely no. not it i actually i think it's just a rebranded like blueberry soda it is. so it's not yeah, like, yeah. it's not bad but it's whatever it's their blue red it's not that bacon no it's no. not that bacon soda that gerald drank yeah i wouldn't uh i wouldn't i i say not to drink it because i think it's around like almost a decade old at this point oh shit you're right <laughs> Um, so on on the topic of of Manchukuo, um, so why this nation sort of came into being is that after um, the Russo-Japanese War, which happened in 1904 to 1905, that was when the um, uh, Japanese fought with the Russo's farm market that I worked at in the in the mid 90s, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Mike um, they, they had fought the Russians um, over control of the region of. Um, Manchuria is sort of the interest there. You know what Mike um, used to say to me all the time? He used to come up to me when I was shucking ears of corn, and he would just say, man, why don't you find a pair of pants that fit, man? He say that all the time. <laughs> I'm in the middle of central Jersey. Everybody's like, what's that accent? Y'all don't know. Where are you from, bro? I'm from Trenton, <laughs> but, central, but he's from South Jersey. South Jersey is literally just like Winston-Salem, North Carolina. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It's the South. Also, they 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 uh they are called all kind of talk with a little little twang over there. They got dude, it's rednecks for days, nothing but NASCAR and just you know stereotyping. One, one of these days, I'm gonna get on here and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do a southern accent the entire time that we were recording. And um, go ahead and say uh, be like, oh man, he's super southern. He he's like extra southern. No, you can't you extra. can't do that. And the only way the only way I'll allow that is if we somehow get the uh, the uh, Appalachian guy on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Got the best best voice in podcast. Uh, the guy from the Trillbillies. Yes, so good, man. I'll tell you what, man. I was just, you know, man, where um, work is rides, man. <laughs> it's just so good. So during this war, um, which was sort of for um, sort of control, because at, at this time, you know, the Japanese had moved into uh, Korea, which they had sort of taken over. Um, after fighting with the Chinese and, and incorporated into Japan, they had started moving into Manchuria in order to sort of set it up as a uh, a colonial sort of area mm-hmm. where they would have influence in, and also for uh, defensive purposes. There was sort of a theory within Japan that they needed to have sort of a circle of defense around Japan that extended to um, the areas around it to prevent the islands from being attacked. Okay. Um, so, so during this war, um, and what year are we in with the war? I'm sorry. This is 1904 to 1905. Oh, um, okay. So the, the Japanese had, had, had mobilized about a million soldiers to fight in the war. Um, so during this war, about one in eight families in Japan had a member fighting in the war. Mm. Um, and losses were pretty heavy in the war. Um, cause of the, about a million or so that they sent, 
um, about half of them were dead or wounded by the end of the war. Because um, this is very much like a World War One type war. Um, they're they're using machine guns. Um, nobody really knows like how to how to sort of handle modern warfare. Um, and the army of Japan is very much based on sort of the German model at the time. And their sort of instructors from Germany told them like, well. You, you just send wave after wave of man until you take the position. Um, and so that's what they did. It's sort, sort of like the same thing they do in World War One, yeah. um, And it just results in a lot of uh, fatalities. Yeah, that kind of warfare doesn't work. Dude, I, th- I still think, like, what's your opinion? I'm going to ask Ryan first. What's your opinion? What's worse war? World War Two or World War One? As far as brutality of war. Uh, br- brutality of war? Yeah. One. Uh, one, uh, Steve, because well, you have all the new innovations of machine guns, and you have new innovations well, for, the, for the gas. people. I just think trench for the people warfare. actually fighting it. Right, that's what I mean. I would say World War One. Yeah, yes, I'm not. But, yeah. but for everybody else, World War Two. World War Two is probably oh, much worse coming from like a from like a civilian perspective. From an anybody else. Yeah, anybody other than the military. But as but, far I mean, as like the actual sh- soldiers. Yeah. If you're talking strictly fighting and soldiers, one because like because the trench you have the warfare, right? Machine guns and chemical warfare. Trench, and it was just br- and trench, trench, warfare. trench warfare. Didn't it's like a brutal. Didn't a huge percentage of the casualties from World War One come from just disease, from just being would, in trenches? I would yeah, imagine. there's a lot of a lot of like disease based, which which is like a lot of wars. Like a majority of the casualties in. Like the American Civil War, I believe, were mainly people who died from disease. Yeah. Before like the advent of antibiotics in a widespread usage, it was it, it's mostly disease. It's mostly infection, essentially. It's so crazy. Yeah. Um. So at, at the end of this war, um, the Japanese were not allowed to take a lot of the the areas that the Russians controlled. The other European powers, the United States, sort of moved in and prevented them from doing this, which actually caused uh, rioting. Um, in Japan, because people were so mad, because so many um, Japanese uh, soldiers had died to to sort of win this war, that they felt that they were getting screwed over. Um, and so this also gives a sort of viewpoint from from the Japanese, you know, that this area of of China sort of belonged to them as well, because of how many Japanese had died there. And when you say this area of China, what area of China specifically are we talking about? Like this is the. The northeast of China, so uh, so the very like, like directly across the sea, uh, across the Sea of Japan. Well, like the very like farthest tip, you know, with borders like Russia, okay. um, and and Korea. Yeah, it's okay. like the Rhode Island of China. <laughs> it's more of like the main of China. Oh, sorry, the main of China. <laughs> no, fuck it. It's the Rhode Island of China. It's been fucked already. It is the Rhode Island of China. <laughs> In, in 1906, uh, the Japanese established what's called the uh, South Manchurian uh, Railway, um, which is sort of based out of a, a former uh, Chinese Eastern Railway that had been built by Russia um, at that time, um, which ran from uh, Manjuli uh, to Vladivostok in Russia um, and ran through Harbin, which is like the largest city in um, that region of China. Yeah, I've heard okay. of Harbin um, before. And it went down to Port Arthur, which was called at that time by the Russians, um, which is today Dalian, um, which is at the very uh, tip of the Liaoning uh, Peninsula. I would say Port Um, Arthur, Australia. Holy shit. um, Which the Japanese called uh, Ryujun. Um, So under the terms of the Treaty of Portsmouth, um, 
Japan would have an army called the uh, the Guangdong, as it's written um, in the sort of spelling of the time, or, or Guangdong Army, um, which had the right to sort of occupy that area of Manchuria, the, the southern region of it, um, in order to sort of protect um, the Japanese uh, economic sphere of influence in China there. Um, and then also as well, uh, the railroad had um, it, its initial... Um, market capitalization was about uh, 200 million yen, which made it uh, the largest corporation in Asia at that time. How much um, money are we talking about in dollars? In, in freedom bucks? Uh, How many freedom bucks is that? That's probably about 200 million dollars of, of US dollars at that time. Jesus Christ. Anyway, so 200 million in 1905? Uh, uh, 1906. 1906. Yeah, because the, the, yen, the yen used to be um, comparable to the dollar, um, in, in terms of like, um, you, you would just sort of like, in, instead of it being in the hundreds, like it is today, um, it was, it was in much smaller denominations. Okay. Um, so, and they didn't just like, like a lot of Japanese corporations during this time, uh, which were called Zaibatsus, um, they didn't just sort of run the railway. Um, they also ran, um, sort of the network that went through that area, which included uh, ports, mines, hotels, uh, the telephone lines, um, and other sort of businesses, which um, allow them to sort of dominate the economy of the region. So they um, control the cup- pretty much everything then. So it's almost like empirical or uh, Im- imperial, imperial, yeah, imperial rule. Uh, yes, to to a degree. Um, it, but they don't outright control everything. I was gonna say they they just sort of have the market because prior to that they were like you know in the going back what to like they they were only coming out of everything in the 1600s so they was japan really ever did they ever have imperialist like intent prior to this time period well the the invasion of korea right um, but hasn't that been ongoing for like hundreds of years haven't they been fighting all the time uh just the one time before the um the the Sino-Japanese the first Sino-Japanese war. Okay, thank you. Um, so, so the the South Manchuria uh, Railroad Company, which was called the uh, uh, Mantetsu um, Company, um, as they sort of begin to expand, um, the number of Japanese people that live in Manchuria goes from um, sixteen thousand six hundred and twelve um, Japanese civilians um, in nineteen o six to two hundred and thirty three thousand seven hundred and forty nine in nineteen thirty. Damn. Okay. Um, and because of sort of how the division of, of labor went, um, most of the uh, sort of the blue collar employees of the company were Chinese, whereas the, the Japanese were mostly in the uh, management positions. Um, so most of the Japanese people in, in Manchuria at that time were, were sort of of a middle class or, or higher status, um, which made them very, um, very much elites, which they saw themselves as that as well, um, considering the disparity in uh, in wealth between um, the average Chinese person there um, and sort of the blue collar workers as compared to the white collar workers of the company. We the best. Right. <laughs> um, after the the Russian Revolution of nineteen seventeen, um, the the Russians sort of pull out of um, uh, pull out of outer Manchuria, um, which was uh, sort of Russia's far east, um, and this allowed. Um, and this allowed sort of um, the the Japanese to briefly move in, um, but um, but they were forced to withdraw 
um, due to the uh, due to the Americans um, sort of uh, pushing them to, and also because of uh, the the Soviets sort of taking control of the country. Um, so they they returned that area of of Manchuria to the the Soviet Union in 1925. They just, so just give it back. Well, they they essentially had moved in and were occupying it, and like they were the rest of Manchuria. And then once the Soviets came in, they just sort of like left. So they were were they afraid of the Soviets? Like why would they just? Well, they didn't they didn't want to they didn't want to go to war. That that's the thing. So this was kind of like an opportunist, just kind of like uh, like a hippie who stays in your house too long kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a because the Russians because the Russians are busy fighting the Russian Civil War. They've all like abandoned controlling it. No one's really in control of the government. So, so they had like just... squatters' rights over Manchuria. <laughs> Yeah, it's over that section of Manchuria. <laughs> and then the Russians came and said, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> hey, listen, listen, listen. We don't recognize squatters' rights here. I don't give a fuck. Get the fuck out of my house. Get the fuck out of if my house. If you squat, you are... You know, the only squat we know is Slav squat. You get the fuck out. <laughs> no, your heels touch the ground. You're a fake Slav. It's fake a, Slav. Get original Slav squat did not have Adidas. <laughs> Adidas. So we had to ri- we had to paint stripes. We painted stripes. We only had two stripes. Only enough paint for two stripes. That was this Polish um, kid I used to hang out with. That's what he called Adidas. 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 Uh, so listen, real quick question about this: the the area we're talking about, Manchuria, was it its own sovereign nation at this point, or was it under Chinese? Because like. It's un- it's in Chinese like international boundaries, right? Like I get the feeling I, yeah, like China has all these little little areas where they're like, yeah, that's ours, but they they don't have any form yeah. like control. Over <laughs> well, they, they they did they they did have former control over it. Okay, because because Manchuria is where the Manchus were from, who were the the last dynasty of of China was the the Qing dynasty, which was a Manchu dynasty, right? Um, and they had controlled the area. But just the fact that during this period of, of Chinese history as well, um, after sort of the uh, the Shanghai Revolution, uh, the, f- the founding of the, the Chinese Republic due to a lot of uh, complicated things, um, China quickly falls into what's called the Warlord Era, um, where oh, different sort yeah. of uh, military generals um, and, and other sort of despots um, sort of set themselves up as being the leaders of different regions of China. The one who's in control of Manchuria during this time period is named um, uh, Zhang uh, Zuolin, who is the who's referred to as the old marshal. Um, he himself was very much like a self-serving um, sort of general. He only really cared about his um, his own sort of personal standing. Um, he and, and his own personal wealth. Um, he didn't really have any greater ambitions beyond that, which is a lot of um, these these warlords. Okay, right. They were only um, out for their own shit, which is. Pretty much like everybody today, too. <laughs> but but what happens is is that as uh, uh, Zhang, the the old marshal, starts getting um, worried about the Japanese, um, begins to think about sort of uh, trying to push them out or making alliances with um, Chiang Kai Shek, who is uh, making his way north from southern China. I'm sorry, we've talked about him before. Who's that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so. In 1928, um, the the Jap- uh, the Kwantung army um, has uh, the old marshal assassinated. They they blow up his train. Um, they they put some dead um, Chinese people next to where the bomb went off and claim that they were the ones that did. What, it. They, what do they just oh, have God. these? What they have them in stock at fucking Safeway? 
Yeah, do you have any well, dead they... Chinese here that I can, you know? Yeah, sure, sir. It's in the back. Well, <laughs> just carry them around they, they, in a car. They should have just called the states. We have crisis actors Why all do over they, the place. Oh, yeah, shut the fuck up. Why do they walk around with dead Chinese just to lay about? <laughs> they just they just picked... I, I'm guessing they just picked up some guys, murdered them, and then just had them, like, thrown next to, like, Steve, where the bomb went off. you didn't have evidence. to tell me the reality. For God's sake. No. For God's sake. Um, I'm just gonna play. So, I'm gonna play Talisman the rest of the episode. Go. So, <laughs> the, what the Japanese had expected to happen was that, and, and this is all something that the the Kwantung Army is is not really being controlled by Japan. The Kwantung Army itself is like a hotbed of of sort of like fascist, um, far right like sort of ideology. Right. Like it's it's sort of like the place where all like the uh, the the like the crazy like like far right. Like we we need to radically change Japan's society. We don't know exactly how, um, but it needs to happen in some way. Um, it, most most likely, some sort of fascist way that gets rid of the civilian government in Japan um, and keeps the emperor at the top. Um, so right. So so after they after they assassinate uh, the old marshal, they they expect that Manchuria will sort of descend into anarchy, giving them a, a pretext to sort of like take over the region, um, to to sort of you know bring stability to the region but russia's there right am i lost well well they've the 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 soviets do have some interest there but they're not really um that focused why is everyone fucking teasing manchuria like japan comes in blue ball japan comes in they have a million 200 million babies in like a short period of time and then they just when they see russia coming they're just like we got to get the fuck out of here and they're just ikimas and they're fucking out and then Russia's there, and Russia's like not willing to go in all the way. They're like, "Well, you know, I was I got right up next to it, and I was gonna go in, but I decided These wishy-washy to pull fucks. out." Well, what's going on? Well, you there? have to. There's some kind well, of you weird have to remember power? that because well, well, what happens with the Soviet Union is because of, with communism, you know, they're opposed to imperialism, so they they essentially like forsake all of their their colonial um, possessions okay. in in China. Um, and and they they're also very buddy buddy with the government of China. Um, they they sort of break away for a bit um, when when Chiang goes against the the communists. Um, they're supporting the communists, but they're also very friendly uh, with Chiang. And and Stalin sort of wants them to come out on top. Um, he wants the, the the Chinese nationalists to sort of like secure control over the country, and then eventually have the Chinese communists just sort of come in, and then just sort of like take them over from the inside. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, but but what happens is, and they were really expecting this, is that um, his son, the the young marshal, um, Shui Liang, um, he he had a during this time he's he's sort of like a playboy. Um, he's addicted to opium, um, and. <laughs> It, what happens though is that just, after his father is Chinese killed, future just rolling around Percocet, <laughs> Percocet. Molly Molly Percocet. <laughs> but I after like he- mask on Manchuria, fuck it, mask off. <laughs> but but after his after his father is killed, uh, he takes over. <laughs> um, chase Russia, never chase Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he he sort of takes over. Um, seamlessly after his father is, is assassinated, he's able to sort of just like succeed his father uh, peacefully 
Um, and then after he, well, yeah, um, he's high he's on fucking to... opium. He's peaceful as shit. <laughs> well, I mean, no one, no one tried to like push him out or, or take over. Because remember, these are these are warlords. Right. It's it's like it's it's like a mafia situation. Oh yeah, no, I get it, I get it. Um, so after he sort of takes over, the um, uh, Tokyo refuses to send them more troops to sort of move into the region. Because a lot of the times the uh, the Kwantung army is is not moving um, under the direction of Tokyo, um, they don't really like like Tokyo is not happy about it. Um, but the civilian government can't really do anything about it um, because of how bad the situation politically is in Japan during this time period. Um, from the period of like about 1926 to 1937, there's about uh, two dozen uh, uh, coup attempts against the government. Um, politicians are assassinated all the time by uh, sort of like right-wing uh, military officers or, or soldiers or, or other such um, so, sort of like fascist or, or other sort of ideolo- uh, ideologues. Um, the, it, and the civilian government is kind of powerless. Um, and, and the only thing that really sort of keeps the army from taking over is the fact that they're in, in sort of a cold war with the Navy. Um, they, the army and navy, the the army and navy are constantly at odds with each other um, over preferential treatment. It's odd um, that only, it's odd that you talk about it like they were killing someone like every other day of the week. Like who would who would continue to step into the breach and be a leader in Japan at that point? Yeah, like yeah, if, if the me. last the last five guys in your job are dead, then that's not good for you. <laughs> like, you Can you well, imagine getting promoted to an office and they're like, yeah, so you're the, like the fifth guy here in like two weeks. They're going to be like, um... Now, well, you see, what, the, you you see those guys, guys? You see those guys down there on Hibiadori? You see those? They're pissed. They're going to shoot <laughs> you when you leave here today. Well, well, you... But the thing is that the people that come in to fill their places are the ones that are pro the military and what they're doing. So, so instead of like instead of getting rid of like the people who are like like yeah maybe maybe we should not you know be trying to overthrow um, other other countries governments and like just just go to war with everybody um, you you get like the Japanese version of the QAnon caucus. Oh Jesus Christ! Okay. <laughs> All right, Stephen um, and I go ahead and stop there. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> so, well, you you know where it goes. World War Two, but um, so the. So the young Marshall is he's a he's a bit of a nationalist, um, and so he is not happy um, about um, Japan's position with him and uh, within Manchuria. Um, so he, but he knows he can't really push them out. Um, so he begins to sort of form a relationship with the, the Chinese nationalists. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Um, so what what happens is. Um, is that in in 1931, um, the the Japanese sort of make a a false flag um, sort of uh, incident called the Mukden incident. The Mukden um, incident. The the Mukbang incident. It consisted of a thousand cheeseburgers, fourteen hundred buffalo wings. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with the Mukbang? Yes, it's a. The, the Korean eating videos, yes, they're disgusting. Oh, they are fucking <laughs> awful, dude. Just the worst thing. They're if you like type fetish, I, there's, they're it's fetish gotta be videos. porn. Be it's definitely porn for dudes who like burgers, you know? Like, it is. Like, you type mukbang into Google, M U K B A N G, and it is just the 
worst images that come up. Like, my God. Jesus. So what what happens is is that um, a, a regiment of the, the Kwantung army sort of sets off a small bomb um, by one of the railway lines owned by uh, the Mantetsu Corporation um, by uh, Mukden, uh, China, which is today the, the city of, of Shenyang. Okay. Um, the, the explosion, like, doesn't even really do superficial damage to the track because the train was able to, like, go over it, like, minutes after the bomb went off. Um, but <laughs> you what fucking loser. <laughs> but, but what happens is, is that the Japanese say that the Chinese did it, that it was the act of, like, Chinese um, sort of, like, dissidents. It's like a Gulf and of Tonkin they, incident here? It, exactly. Uh... It's, it's very similar to, like, what the, the Nazis did to invade Poland, right. where, they, where they just found some, like, drunks. And claim they were dead. They were dead uh, German soldiers or whatever that the Poles had killed. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, so they 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 invade um, Manchuria and over a span of about who invades Manchuria? Um, the Japanese. Okay. The the Kwantung Army. Okay. Um, which um, this is all being done without Tokyo's authorization, and Tokyo is not um, is is not happy with it so because who's it's a. This? Or is it just uh, army no one upon is. themselves to just being like, yo, fuck these dudes, let's go. A, a conspiracy of generals within the Kwantung army decides it's time for them to take over. Um, they, they sort of set up this this Cassius Belai of, of the bomb, and then they say that they need to they need to move in, and they invade, um, and then Tokyo just sort of goes along with Did it. Did you mean Cassius because, Belly? Yeah, okay. Cassius Belly. Okay. I, I mean, say, Cassius, uh, Cassius Clay? I always say it wrong. Cassius, Be- Cassius uh, Belly, it calls for war. Oh, not so, Cassius Clay, okay. And because it's it's actually against the Japanese constitution uh. at this time for the the military to operate without orders from above, so because of the fact that they've done this, they don't want to sort of bring it up because they're afraid it might cause some sort of like civil war or or coup d'état if they try to rein in the the army. Wow! So oh, they okay they, wait, they wait, just wait, decided wait, wait, to wait, not wait. get involved because they were scared. Is that what you're saying? Walk me through this. The military commits a crime. But the government says we we don't want everybody to get mad at us, so we're not going to say anything about this crime. We're just going to let it go. They well, they they essentially go along with it. They say like, oh oh yes, we we wanted them to do that. Mm. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? The fuck? So it's um, so it's America, just in in the early nineteen hundreds. Or it's just actually probably just fucking just America. I mean, it's got to be a tenuous line in pretty much any country. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that because this is just a bunch of generals get together in secret. Like the the government tried to send a, another general to stop them, um, but the general he he made the excuse that he got um, he got drunk until he passed out at a Japanese restaurant and didn't um, and and obviously didn't stop them in time. And he just said, "Well, I tried and I couldn't do it." No, he went there and he was like. <laughs> Damn, these guys actually make some fucking sense. I can't, I can't well, tell them to stop. Well, he warned sense. them also beforehand that he was coming, because because other people in the military and on it too. He sent them. Like it, he it sent them a raven. <laughs> he sent some smoke signals before he left. <laughs> it's the 1900s. It's not a racist joke. <laughs> um, and so they send. Um, and, and in order to give the state legitimacy, um, they pick up the last emperor of China, Emperor Puyi. Um, Emperor and who? They, they, uh, Emperor Puyi. Puyi. Yeah, Puyi. Yes. He's the last. Um, if you've heard of the movie The Last Emperor, um, it, it's about his sort of life. 
I've heard um, the Last Samurai. But um, Last Emperor is a good movie. It was. Uh, I like. I, how, I like how Steve was just totally just gonna bypass that. Like, okay, yeah, whatever the fuck ever. I love the Last Samurai, <laughs> but as I got older, I just could not deal with the. I like it's such a, it's a it's a white savior video. That's exactly what it is. Jesus Christ! That's, and it's stupid. It's horrible. I mean, he dies. Well, well, he dies, but like whatever. Who cares? He has less movies. Yeah. Well, he doesn't die. Remember at the end, oh, he like, gives the right, sword no. to the emperor. Oh, my God. And then it teaches the emperor about what it means to be a samurai. Oh, my um, God. So, uh, Puyi had been sort of living, like, in the outs, um, because he's not the emperor of China anymore, and nobody really wants him around, because, like, the revolution that overthrew him was predominantly Han Chinese, um, and the only reason that, like, the the Manchus were allowed to, like, stay in the palace and not be, like, just, like, executed or, or thrown in prison or whatever, or exiled, uh, was because um, the they, they came to a truce to end the war early that, that essentially gave them protections. Okay. Um, so, so he's just been hanging around, but in secret, um, the, the Japanese just sort of speared him away um, to Manchuria. Um, where he becomes the emperor of this new state. Hmm. And on uh, February 18th, 1932, uh, uh, Manchukuo, or the Manchurian state as it's referred to in English, um, was proclaimed, um, and it was officially founded on March 1st. March 1st, and what year is this? Uh, 1932. March 1st, 1932. Man, there was shit going down. Now, let me ask you something. So it's an independent state. It's got its own government. It's in its own laws, its own quote-unquote constitution. <laughs> quote-unquote constitution. Yes. It, like that. Like it's a totally independent state. Yes. Okay. And this does not exist well, anymore, correct? It doesn't. Um, it it we'll, we'll talk about that in the second episode. It was like, but it, gets... it was like last Tuesday. They stopped it. <laughs> like alright guys it was a good this run work and that, eh, that's it alright cool let me shut it down <laughs> um, so in on September 15th 1932 um, the Japan uh, Quo Protocol um, is, um, is signed where Japan formally recognizes uh, Quo, um, and this is done after the assassination of Japanese Prime Minister um Anukai uh, Suyoshi, who was opposed to um, sort of uh, recognizing the state. Now, does Manchukuo exist to everybody in the world? Well, this is the thing in that it has a very limited amount of representation, which we'll talk about. But does it's, it, it's, but is it at least recognized as a sovereign well, nation? Well, when when it says it's like a sovereign nation, it's like Western Sahara or like the Donetsk People's Republic. Like it's one of those type situations. That means nothing to me. It, it's like it's like <laughs> there's a lot of states that like Russia has within former Soviet republics, okay. and and that they that they're not under the control of the former of the current government of that country, and they're pretty much controlled by Russia. But Russia recognizes them as a sort of independent state. But does everybody else in the world recognize? Very few them as people a state? in the world recognize it as a state. Okay. okay. Um, its capital is the the city of uh, Chengchun, um, which was named um, which was named uh, uh, Xin uh, Xinjing, uh, which means new capital. Um, and that's inventive. 
Um, and then what also should we call to, the new capital? <laughs> new capital. <laughs> Which a lot of a lot of cities in like Japan and China are named like that. You know they, what they else? A lot of, of like, cities in fucking America are named like well, that. Yes. New York. <laughs> you know what else is the new yeah. capital? Bitcoin. <laughs> Dogecoin, baby. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. I, I don't, still have I don't two thousand Dogecoin. I still have them. Don't tell anybody. I have plenty. They were fucking. <laughs> they were like point oh oh five cents when I bought them. How many do you have? One hundred and fifty. Oh, oh, okay. Well, you, just because you boys have diamond hands doesn't mean you need to brag about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm worth like to selling it's them. worth like forty six bucks. It's not. It's not even worth that much. It's not. It's worth less than that right now. No. Nah. It's not even worth selling them. It's not even worth talking about, honestly. Like, I don't have enough to talk about. I'm just hoping one day... They're like, I have 16 billion Dogecoin. One day, when I'm like 75 years old, I'm going to buy a Tesla with my Dogecoin (laughs) just crashing into a fucking wall. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get that medical weed Um, card. Did they have weed in... Did they have that weed in Manchuokuo? Yes, they do. Nice. Uh, But, um... (laughs) So and we'll we'll sort of get into the the drug laws. Yay! <laughs> oh shit, son. That's what I'm ready for. Um, and after this sort of new uh, new state is declared, um, local local Chinese um, nationals begin forming into volunteer armies to to oppose the Japanese, sort of like as a resistance movement. Um, and it takes uh, many years for them. Um, to sort of like uh, fully like take over the country and get rid of all of these um, sort of rebel um, groups within the country. Well, I can imagine. How big? Um, how big is Manchuoko? If you could, Manchuoko, could you put it in like a uh, perspective for me? In terms of area, let's see if Size. I can. Size like Texas or is it Texas or is it Rhode Island? <laughs> Rhode Island. It's definitely bigger than Rhode Island. I think it's I think it's comparable to like uh, New England. Oh, so it's not like it's, the entirety of New England. Okay. So it's tiny. Okay. It's, ti- it's, it's whole, tiny. It's like, tiny, but everyone knows about if, it. If China, if China is a chicken, it's the head. Okay. Like all of that area. So if you look at a map of of China, um, does that include the neck? The Chinese chicken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> does it include the neck? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> said it's the head of the chicken. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, it does not include the neck. Okay, I see the map. Uh, got it. <laughs> the colonel would be holy very shit. China in- does kind of look like a big bird, <laughs> especially because um, you gave it the. Uh, you've highlighted Manjuoko in red, so it's like you know, it's got like a rooster waddle. It's the gobbler. It's a. It's like the Mitch it's McConnell the up there. <laughs> So, even though uh, Puyi as is, is installed as the head of state in 1932, um, it's not until uh, 1934 that he becomes the emperor of Manchukuo. Um, and his era name is the, uh, the, the Kongde Emperor. Um, and then, um, so... Uh, Manchukuo um, uh, becomes uh, the the Manchurian Empire, um, and uh, one of his his sort of like uh, confidants and, and lackeys, uh, Zheng <coughs> Xiaoshu, um, he becomes the first prime minister until 1935, um, and then after he dies, 
um, Zhang uh, Jinghui, uh, another sort of um, member of his entourage, uh, becomes the prime minister. Your pronunciations are amazing. Um, well, he did live there. <laughs> so in Manchukuo. So, so uh, Puyi though is is really just a figurehead, um, and most of the real authority within the country lies in the hands of the Kwantung Army um, and the Japanese military officials uh, that man most of the posts, uh, usually as the the assistant or vice uh, position for that um, for that sort of uh, department or area. So this is basically Japan 2.0. Long story short, <laughs> well, it's 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 essentially a fake country. It's a it's a yeah. I I would say it's Japan 2.0 for for a number of reasons Japan which we'll get into. One point five, okay. But it is it is essentially <laughs> like they're, they're like they're running the place, but but they just sort of have like this veneer, um, this this sort of like cardboard cutout of a of a local uh, sort of like run government over it. And how do they, so the people in that area do they consider themselves Chinese still or do they consider themselves Manchurian or do they consider themselves Japanese or do they consider themselves Manchurian? Well, they would they would they would not consider themselves Japanese for a number of reasons. They they would consider themselves uh, probably Chinese or their ethnic group. Okay, um, they're Manchaks. That's right. The the Jap the Japanese have a, um, have an imperial palace built for <laughs> Puyi, um, and like and. Um, and but all of the the decisions are being made by um, the the Japanese uh, vice ministers. Um, the the Japanese um, appoint uh, uh, commander in chief is a uh, is appointed um, as as regent. Um, regent like president Jesus, the fuck is regent? Is that like a president? It's like a royal well, they, term. Well, they would uh, they would make him uh, uh, regent. Um, that that Puyi would be regent because he could not uh, fully be like uh, the Qing emperor, and they didn't want him to be. But what is a what is a what is the what's what's the term again? A, a regent. Yeah, regent. What like what is it? Is it equivalent to like a president? Is it equivalent to like an? It's not an emperor, obviously. Well, it's it's a it's sort of the person who makes decisions for, like, for a, like an a emperor king. or a king. Yeah. It's like a stand-in. Oh man, I feel so, bad. I it's feel, like he has power of attorney, basically. Well, you you really shouldn't feel bad for him. He, I shouldn't feel bad of, for Puyi. Yeah, he's he's sort of known for because he this is this is something that he like like consciously chose to do, knowing like the full ramifications of what he was getting into. Okay, like, I, just, like I, I guess I just feel bad for him because like a regent uh, a regent sounds to me like <laughs> you're just not cool enough to be in the cool well, kids club, but we're still he, gonna make you do the work. He he technically well he's not doing the work. He's he's just sort of standing Chill, in. chilling in the cut. Um they they just don't want to give him sort of like a, in the a, club. They, <laughs> they don't want to sort of give him a level where he can sort of move in and become emperor of China again. Okay. He also um, looks like a gigantic fucking dweeb. That's one that let that be known. Well, you, Yes, he was he was uh he, a huge he fucking quite nerd. a he was quite a like effeminate too. And there are a lot of theories that he was that he was possibly um, homosexual because he never had um, any any children. That's fine. I don't give a shit. I'm homosexual, thanks. I don't have any children. What I'm saying is, he looks like a fucking nerd. <laughs> well, he like he. It was his job to have children, and he didn't have children. Ah, uh, you remember- had one job, Puyi. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> fucking Puyi. Um. 
So it, he's served by the uh, by a privy council um, it, who handle most of his executive duties, um, and also the general affairs state council, um, w- which is another sort of council that that runs much of the country. Okay. Um, the the state council is is sort of the uh, the, the center of political power in the country. Congress. Um, and all of these cabinet uh, ministers have a, a, a Japanese vice ministers under them who do most of the actual decision making. Um, and the commander in chief of the, uh, the the Kwantung Army um, is also the uh, ambassador, the, the Japanese ambassador to the country. That's um, a huge um, conflict of interest. I feel like. And his and and his role, uh, even though he's said to be an ambassador, it, it's actually uh, much closer to being like the governor general of um, of the the sort of colony, um, and he also has veto power over the emperor. Wait, so like the Chinese emperor? Uh, Puyi, the the Manchu. Okay, so the um, fake emperor. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and and most of the uh, mo- most of the Chinese advisors that were that were now sort of like co opted or or had a, a Japanese um, uh, sort of uh, assistant under them, um, they they all eventually resign or are dismissed. Um, there is also a legislative council, um, but it's mostly ceremonial, and all it does is just rubber stamp the decisions that the higher ups make. Okay. Uh, there's only one allowed political party, and it is the uh, the state-sponsored uh, Concordia Association, um, and it, it's really the only like political um, sort of body that you can belong to in um, the area. Hmm. Um, so one one of the interesting aspects of Manchu Kuo, um, which uh, there there's an American historian named uh, Louis Young who sort of looked into this. Um, and it is that a lot of the, the Japanese civil servants that, that go to work in Manchukuo um, were mostly of a left-wing bent um, or who, who had previously been, you know, uh, left-wing. Okay. Because what happens is is that in the 1920s, um, sort of like the young um, intelligentsia in Japan, um, they begin to reject a lot of like the traditional Japanese values um, and they become active in uh, left-wing movements. Um, but what happens in in Japan is after a series of, of sort of assassination attempts on the emperor um, and, and all sorts of other issues, um, they pass what's called the Peace Preservation Law of 1925. Um, and it essentially makes it a, a capital crime um, to, quote-unquote, um, alter the, uh, the kokutai. What is the kokutai? The, the kokutai is, is sort of like a Japanese concept of, of the people within the state. Um, that the people are beholden to the emperor, um, and that there's this whole thing of like a social order that exists uh, within Japan. Um, for instance, everything that the Japanese people have in their constitution doesn't come from the people, like such as in the American constitution. It's derived from the power of the emperor um, as a as a semi divine, quasi divine being. So it's not a physical document like the constitution it's just a, a theory a concept well no it, it has a it has a physical document it, it states you know that everything like all the rights that are written down that you have and and everything about society it's given to you from the emperor okay uh for instance um in like for instance the the rescriptive education is the document that sort of establishes public schooling in japan um and this document has to be kept up in all Japanese classrooms in a very, like, North Korean fashion. 
Okay. Like, like there, like there are stories of like school teachers, um, like in the middle of like floods or or like other natural disasters, um, just sort of like um, saving the picture at the risk of their own lives or the the document. God, damn. they, they would mean, also. But ha- also, I see that that would happen here too. If like it was the Constitution was like it was about to be damaged or destroyed, people would risk their lives to keep that from from happening. The actual document, not like a, a like a reprint or some shit. Um, Probably. So what what this law does is it essentially bans any sort of uh, left wing uh, politics in Japan. Um, so by the time that like World War II rolls around, there is no like Japanese left. Um, but what many of these there's no Japanese um, left, or there's no Japanese left. Like, there's no Japanese, like, left in politics. Like, there's no... It's There's only, like, the center and, like, right. Wow. Okay. All right. I was like, there's um, no Japanese left in the politics. Why? Did they all get killed? <laughs> um, a, a lot of the Japanese leftists do. Um, they're, they're either assassinated, imprisoned, or, or executed by the state. Um, Jesus Christ. And, and so a lot of these young people, they go to Manchuria um, to serve as... Um, uh, civil civil servants and the Japanese state sort of seeks them out to do this um, because they they sort of want that type of thinking in um, in Manchuria. Um, so what they want to do in Manchuria is they want to create a very state uh, a very state controlled economy, um, and they also needed um, they also needed graduates who were fluent in in Mandarin Chinese um, to work there as well. Um, and many of the the Japanese that sort of study uh, Mandarin Chinese in university at that time, it was considered to be a very like left wing or progressive thing, um, because the Japanese during this time period looked down on the Chinese as an inferior race. Mm-hmm. Um, so they um, and a lot of these uh, young civil servants also have degrees in um, sort of like economics, sociology, um, uh, stuff sort of associated with the studies of like of like Marx and and all sorts of other uh, uh, socio political type things. Um, they they want them to play a larger role um, in sort of creating a, a state controlled economy in Manchuria. Okay. Um, because a, a lot of what happens in in Japan is that that Japan's economy is kind of stagnant because you have these large uh, zaibatsu. Um, that are dominated by like oligarchs who, who sort of control a lot of um, uh, the Japanese economy, um, and it's sort of like it is um, like people talk about today of like oligarchs, like the the one percent. Um, it was even like more true to an even greater degree in Japan during this time period. Um, the average Japanese citizen, you know, um, they they can barely afford to feed themselves. Like there's there's a lot of food scarcity and insecurity. Um, it, it's not very good. So a lot of these people in the military just just sort of look down on these um, on these sort of um, oligarchs who who sort of run the economic sector in in Japan, and they want to make sort of a, an opposite system in Manchuria. Okay. Um, and also another reason why they want to do it is because much like communism, they want to take what they see as a feudal um, economy in Manchuria. Um, which at that time was very much, um, until the Chinese Revolution, very much a feudal uh, system. Um, it was full of what were called banners, um, which is sort of like an almost feudal um, sort of setup of, of different generals within the Manchu army, which were called banner men. So it was like medieval times. Sort of. <laughs> um, 
go, Red Knight. <laughs> I want one of them gigantic-ass turkey legs. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have turkeys on the island of Manchuria. That's a true story. Um, it, I looked it And up. so what What they would do as well was they would, um, they, they would send out um, five to six um, civil servants uh, guarded by a, a detachment of the Kwantung army out into the uh, the countryside of Manchukuo um, to, to sort of like uh, gather data um, on um, the, the people there, like how they were living, how they were doing things, to see how best to sort of move them from, from a feudal to a capitalist stage of economic development. I have a question. Yes. What is the Kwantung army? Like, I understand it's, it's Japanese, right? Yes, it's, it's the Japanese army that they had in Manchuria. Um, so that, why did they call it the Kwantung Army? Was it just like specifically like what they called it because it was based in Manchuria? Well, they had different. They were called the Northeast Army Group. Like that's what it literally means. And it was just sort of like the army within the army. Like like it's sort of like a. I would say it's a regiment. Um, okay. But but the the actual like ground forces of Imperial Japan, the Imperial Japanese Army, has different armies within it. Okay. And this was the army that that sort of guarded their their interests in in northeastern China. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and in nineteen thirty six, they even launch um, a five year plan for economic development, which was based off of the uh, five year plans of the Soviet Union. So communism. <laughs> yeah. So they're sort of like adapting Marxist. Um, sort of techniques. They're they're not communists, but they're using sort of like communist um, strategies in order to um, sort of like increase production and sort of make Manchuria into an industrial state. Hmm. Okay. Because um, because remember the people doing this are not the are not Manchurian. So so it's essentially like foreigners coming in and, and just like any other colony, except their goal is to sort of make it into a self-contained industrial state as opposed to just being extracting the resources from it. Right. Right. Um, so because, um, because this like, they're creating this new state, um, that was in, in theory, like independent, um, it meant that there weren't really any limits to the types of policies they could carry out there. Um, and even though a lot of these sort of graduates, um, are, are opposed to sort of like the social system that exists in Japan, which is at this time, like quasi, uh, feudal in nature, um, they they sort of like the idea of being able to go um, to Manchuria um, and sort of uh, carry out these reforms there because they think that like hey if we do a good job here they might implement these reforms in Japan. Okay. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Because at this time, because by by 1933, um, the the Japanese Socialist Party and the Japanese uh, Communist Party um, had been uh, like. Uh, pretty much, like, arrested completely through, like, mass arrests. A, a couple of them do escape. A couple members of these parties do escape to the Soviet Union, uh, but most of them are, are sort of um, uh, arrested, and, and they go through uh, what is called uh, Tenko. Um, and What is so, Tenko? And, and Tenko is, is sort of this uh, process of, of sort of brainwashing um, these, these leftists into being, like, like right-wing. Okay, like it, it's sort of like how, how they talk about like brown, like like red to brown or whatever, like like leftists so like in America. Yeah, they they essentially reeducate them from being like socialists into being essentially national socialists. 
Oh wow, wow, what a fucking swamp. Um, what pieces and, of shit. And, okay. And so because that because that's happening as well, um they, they also view that, you know, it's impossible to make change in uh Japan. Um and also too the the Great Depression happens um happened in nineteen twenty nine. It it greatly impacted uh Japan as well. Um so a lot of university graduates are not able to get um well paying jobs in Japan, whereas uh Manchuria has very very lucrative and attractive jobs to them. Um, also, um, during this time, even on the right wing, there, there's sort of like this uh, rhetoric of, of pan-Asianism, which is just the sort of idea that the Asian peoples need to sort of like band together um, to push back against uh, the West. Gotcha. Um, pe- people on the left view it more of like an internationalist, like globalist sense, whereas those on the right view it more as uh, creating an order with the Japanese on top. And then the other one subordinate to them so that they can, you know, kick the Europeans out of Asia. I don't know if they still do it. They used to have a Pan-American Games, almost like a mini Olympics. And uh, my uncle went for wrestling, but I I, I don't know if they uh, if they still do it. It was like they, they still have them. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay. And they, they have uh, they have Pan Asian games and I think they also have Pan European games. I feel like that's a totally normal thing though. Like I don't well, I, I feel like it's not controversial as far as I'm concerned. Well, well, that's that. that when they say pan, it just means everyone. Yeah, no, I'm, like, like yeah, everyone, yeah, no. like everyone in the Americas are competing in these games. It's it's not talking about a political sort of like ideology. It's just sort of saying about how. Um, no, no, saying no, of that course, like of it, course, of course, of course, yeah, yeah, but but like their their idea of pan Asianism is more of like the Asian races need to band together, like politically, and socially. Ah. In order to like act as a bulwark against like European imperialism. Uh, I don't think you need to do all that, there, guys. And reel that back in a little bit. We're gonna do it. <laughs> you just need to just reel that back in a little bit, there, partner. You don't need to go full Nazi. You know what I'm saying? Like you can have pride and you can be Asian and band together and be like, hey, like we're we're together and we're, we're a monolith. Hey, I don't like this. Are you Asian? I don't like this. We're both Asian. That's we about, don't like this. We, 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 you don't need to be like, hey, we're gonna no, yeah, no. Um, so the the Kwantung army, they're they're okay with sort of talk of, of social revolution in Man, um in Manchuria because they want to gain the support of the Han majority that lives in Manchuria. Um, Han are like the main ethnic group of, of China. They, okay. they comprise the about like Chinese. ninety. Yeah, they, they can, I think it's like ninety six percent of the the total population. They're they're essentially like the the white people of, of China. <laughs> so okay, so so what I'm getting? They're they're essentially like the ubiquitous, like like some white of them boy have China. regional like white boy yeah, China. They, they they sort of have like like Han Chinese have sort of like there'll be regional cultures and stuff, but it's sort of like the same of someone saying like you know I'm. You know, I'm from Boston, or, or you know, like when when people talk about like their like white people talk about their heritage, and it's like their their great great grandfather or whatever like came over on a boat. My grandmother came over here on a fucking boat. Okay, I don't. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to hear y'all bullshit. Yep. <laughs> but it's it's just sort of like the main. Take a good like, hard look at the motherfucking boat. <laughs> Listen, what? Oh my God! What I'm getting from this is that like Manchu Kuo is like South Africa, I guess, where you have like 96 percent of the population is there, or 98 percent of the population is there, but they're ruled by two percent. Well, yes, I would I would say it's more like you know any other colony like India or 
you know, where you, you have a large, you, you have a large population um, that, that's controlled by a minority of, of, of foreigners. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, but they didn't want uh, Manchuria to be too severed from, from China. Um, but mo- mostly because of designs they have on for the rest of China. So they still want Manchuria to be friendly with China. Well, well, not not to be friendly. They they want to make it still distinctly Chinese. They don't want to change the character that it's it's radically different from China because they they eventually want to um, sort of use this as a model for for later on possibly for other areas of China. Oh, okay. so they have they have like plans to push out further to expand. Yeah, so they. they 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 have plans to expand, which they're sending letters to like the other as they get into nineteen thirty. Sending letters to like the other parts of China, like the people in Florida send you the mail. Like we are interested in buying your property. <laughs> so this is their model home, is what it is. Like, yeah, this is the model home to sell to everybody else. Hey, look what you could be. Look what we well, no, we really I would, screwed up the place. I wouldn't say it's it's like in order to sell it to them, but to use against them. Like, like they don't want it. Like they don't want to make it so radically different that they can't use it as like the prefab to throw over the next area of China that they take ah, over. Ah, okay, gotcha. Or, or to possibly integrate uh, other areas of China into uh, uh, Man- uh, Manchu Kuo. Um, so gotcha. one of one of these people that comes in is this guy named uh, Tachibana uh, Shiraki, um, who who was uh, before. He went through the period of uh, uh, Tenko, was a Marxist uh, sinologist, which is someone who studies China. And after that, he becomes like a fanatical uh, right-wing guy. I thought you said Marxist Scientologist, and I was really going to wait for you to have to explain how that worked. Even before, like, L. Ron Hubbard found Scientology. (laughs) Again, I was going to be like, you really need to explain this one to me. I love that Scientology um, is just basically a science fiction novel. It's hilarious. Listen, if it wasn't yeah. so goddamn stupid, I'd be a Scientologist. If it wasn't so goddamn stupid and so just very, very shady. But uh, it's boring. It's dumb. It's, yeah, you know I mean? it's abusive, too. It's not, yeah. If you had a legitimate, like, science, like, sci-fi religion that was, like, kind of cool and not abusive and shitty, fuck it. Why not? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> fuck it. Fuck I'd it. go for it. <laughs> Um, and uh, Tachibana, he sort of proclaims uh, this theory of of the uh, quote unquote five races um, that would work together um, in order to um, in in order to to solve Asia's problems, and argued that only uh, Japan could save China from itself. Who are the five? Um, I, I believe the five was uh, the the Han. Earth, um, wind, white, water, fire, and heart. The, the Han, the, the Mongols, um, the, the Japanese, um, and the Manchus. So no white people again. Listen, I'm going to tell you right well, now, I feel like man, we are underrepresented in the area, okay? This podcast is not wide enough for me to listen to it. So, <laughs> like, all, basically... That was a terrible, <laughs> that was a terrible uh, 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 making fun of my people accent, okay? We don't say white, we say so basically they were they were kind of like trying to get everyone together and like take over well he's he's sort of arguing like his rhetoric is is that like sort of that pan-asian 
pan-Asianist okay. like ideology. Like he's sort of saying like his theory is you know we got to get all these 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 like these like five these five races together under the same game plan so we can we can dominate Asia. So we can have troops that are marginalized and we can throw around. <laughs> um. Uh, another uh, another sort of activist that that sort of um, former activist that that sort of um, influences things there as well is a guy named um, Ogami uh, Suehiro. Um, he he did not undergo the Tenko process, um, but he he sort of believed that it was possible for there to be social reform in Manchuria to sort of end the uh, quote unquote semi feudal conditions that the peasants are lived under. Um, and that he could sort of um, bring in those left-wing reforms in Manchuria. So he did not go under undergo brainwashing. Yeah, he did not undergo the brainwashing. But he just sort of goes in and did that idea, you know, that if I can make good left-wing reforms here, they might come over to Japan and elsewhere. These people, okay. man, they're like, if I do a great job here, we're gonna, it's gonna spread. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they're shitty capitalists, is what they are. Yeah, um, That's so all they are. I'll do a great job, and then I'll, and I'll be able to spread. We'll go everywhere, and, and we'll franchise it out after that point. If we'll I can just sell this Kentucky Fried Chicken to these people at the gas station, then one day That's it. That's it. I will sell to the people of Japan on Christmas. <laughs> Listen, there is KFC in Japan, and I've heard it's delicious. No, they that's their traditional Christmas meal. They Wait, really? Yeah, they eat fried chicken on Christmas, and Kentucky Fried mostly, Chicken. Mostly due to a, a commercial... That's kind of like Jewish people in America ordering Chinese food on like Christmas well, and New Year's. Well, that's cool. Well, that's well, that, well, that's that's because they're the only places open on. With with KFC, are there other places open on Christmas Day in in Japan? Well, no. What it what it was was in Japan, uh, KFC ran a commercial that that described it as like the the Christmas meal, and Japanese people believed that it was the Christmas meal, so it just became a thing. Nobody, it's nobody's Christmas told them yet. This is the first time in public that we're letting them know. Yeah. We let the cat so out of the bag, boys. Fucking sorry right now, guys. <laughs> I know. KFC, man. It is like... I remember back in the day, it was a much better... Much better bird. I feel like chicken... It was, used to be, I feel used like, to be better. It's definitely got smaller. I feel like chicken was always better. Like, it was always better chicken previously. Like... Wendy's it used to definitely be better. It's bland. Talk now. about it's Wendy's. Bland. Like Wendy's used to give you that like baseball glove inside of two larger baseball gloves. <laughs> you know, like it was just this fucking massive bird of chicken. It was so good. And then sometime in like the mid two thousands, they were just like, ah, fuck it, give them one eighth of what we gave them before, and then just went to shit. So listen, I just want to say, as far as the chicken sandwich wars go, I was heavily Team Popeyes, but within the last couple of weeks, I've had the BK spicy chicken. The big. Let me tell you something. The spicy chicken. Oh, I thought you were gonna say like the, the big, the the big chicken. No, that one. no, no, the BK. Because that was the, the new King. one that they just came out with, the, like the big chicken. Yeah, the Burger King has chicken. redone their chicken sandwich, and I got the spicy version of it. Let me tell you something. It is. Fucking delicious. Nice. Okay? I cannot explain how fucking good this thing is. I was very concerned with how highly I thought of this sandwich when I when I just totally annihilated it the other day. Now, Steve, did they have chicken in Manchukuo? Did Manchukuo yes. have the spicy chicken sandwich? Probably much spicier than what you're used to. Sound a lot better. <laughs> Sound a lot better already. So, 
Sir, anything spicy than mayonnaise what is so much for me. What can I do to get the Mongols on board today? <laughs> so, uh, back to Ogami. Um, he, he sort of, like, deludes himself into thinking he's helping ordinary people. Um, because, for instance, one of his studies he has about, uh, about water use in rural uh, Manchuria, he says that there's a correlation that villages um, that were deprived, um, that, that if villages were deprived of water, there would be more instances of uh, banditry, um, which is sort of the code word they use for uh, gorillas um, in the area, and that if like the people were better taken care of, there would be less resistance to the Japanese. God, I feel like there's two other areas or two other um, uh, countries, uh, two other peoples in the world right now that could really, really use some of that kind of advice. Where if you take care of the people, they won't outwardly hate you and revolt against you. It could be somewhere in the Middle East. I, I, I just, I can't think if it's. Uh, is it is is is. is, is just shut up. <laughs> is Israel? Is Israel? Is, is Am I saying that right? Israel? Stop it. You're going to get us. You're going to bring E. Fartlow down on us. I'm sorry. Listen, Bi- listen, Bibby is out of jail. Fuck him. He, or Bibby's out of Ryan, office. Ryan, we, we, we don't need E. Fartlow coming after us. She, <laughs> she doesn't even. Fartlow. She doesn't even let. She doesn't even let people reply to her tweets anymore. I love um, how hey, if you type Eve Hartlow or what? What's her name? Hartlow, right? It's Harlow, I think. Or, or Harlow. Or if you typed it into Google, Google now is like, are you sure you didn't mean Eve Fartlow? <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually, like. You gotta like, love mis- SEO. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so a, a lot of these, um, a, a lot of these, um, sort of, uh, bureaucrats that are brought in, um, they, they have to be sort of, like, stopped every now and then, um, by the, uh, by the military because they they sort of go a little too far. Um, because they, they sort of have absolute control over the country, um, but some of the reforms they want to do are seen as being like too sweeping uh, for the army. Um, and, and one of them was that they wanted to do land reform in Manchuria, um, but it's vetoed by the, uh, by the Kwantung army um, because they, they were afraid that it would cause a, a similar reform in Japan because most of the officers in, in the Japanese uh, army at that time are the descendants of the former samurai. Um, and it, samurai are essentially landlords, and most of them go on to be, um, like, the major landlords in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's they're, they're, they sort of don't want that, that sort of reform to get to Japan um, because it would, it would hurt their own uh, familial interests. Okay. Uh, but the one big thing, the, the big project, though, of... Um, the Japanese army. That's the name of the episode, is... by the way. Samurai landlords. <laughs> is that a manga yeah. already? Like that should be. Probably. It, I wouldn't surprise. The sequel. It's a. It's a offshoot of Samurai Pizza Cats. Yeah. <laughs> um. In in the nineteen twenties, the the Japanese army had come to be influenced by um what they were doing in Germany at that time. Um, and, and sort of this con- uh, concept of the uh, the the Verstadt, um, or the, the defense state, um, because at that time the the military, the army, which is called the uh, the Reichswehr, um, they they had sort of um, sort of advocated for a, a quote unquote uh, national defense state um, that that would motivate um, a, a society for war and peacetime, and it was sort of like a totalitarian um, sort of designed to create this like military industrial state. Okay. 
like you do. Like, like, um, like one does. Um, and they also come to, they themselves too, um, come to sort of, because um, a lot of them are, um, a lot of these far-right uh, Japanese uh, military uh, thinkers are also very anti-capitalist. Um, so they're actually fond of something like the five-year plans in the Soviet Union um, to, to sort of like achieve momental, uh, uh, momental industrial uh, gains without having to go through like the long process of sort of like uh, capitalist investment and development. Right. Um, and one of the main reasons why uh, the Kwantung army seizes Manchuria in 1931 uh, was to sort of use it as its own um, sort of model of the national defense state uh, for Japan. Um, so that way, um, so that way, when time comes for them to go into some sort of total war um, with the rest of the world, which they eventually do, um, they would sort of have the model they would need to, to sort of uh, industrialize uh, Japan overnight. Right. You know, sort sort of in the same way, like in America, like after the U.S. declares war, you know, all the all the industries have to sort of like turn over to the government. Right. Okay. Like, like the government, you know, the, the Ford factory is going to be putting out tanks now instead of cars. Right, right, right. Like, like that type of Well, it of was thing. probably not very hard to sell Henry Ford on certain wars. <laughs> I think it would be easier to why, sell him on making tanks for the Nazis. Well, well I think that war in particular was, was was a little harder, but, but usually the, the government paid them, like, double what the cost would be to, to do what they needed to do. Right. Um, so one of the men uh, they they bring in is that um, is, is that to, to sort of take over this industrialization process is in 1935 um, they bring in a, a noted reform bureaucrat named uh, Nobusuke uh, Kishi and he becomes the deputy minister of industrial development. Um, Kishi is the maternal grandfather of former Japanese uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Ooh, okay. Wow. Um, um, so what Kishi sort of pioneers is the system where bureaucrats like him develop economic plans, and then the, the Zaibatsus within uh, Manchukuo would have to carry this out. Okay. And what year are we in again? This is in 1935. Okay. Um, so he's able um, to, to sort of use private, uh, private capital from private companies um, in... In sort of like a state-directed economic way um, to, to sort of industrialize um, Manchuria. Um, but, but in turn, th- this process shows um, a lot of indifference um, and also exploits uh, the Chinese workers that work in the factories. Um, an American historian named Mark Driscoll described his system as uh, necropolitical. Dead political? Yeah, whereas uh, workers are, are treated as, like, cogs in the system. Um, that, that they're not really considered uh, the same as people. They're, they're just considered, like, numbers on a, on a sheet. Like, like these are our workers. They, they work in the factory. Like, you don't really care about their conditions or how many hours they're working. Just that the factories are working. I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. Uh, so, so this model that he creates um, ends up becoming the model um, for sort of like Japan's post-war uh, development, um, but with like less of the exploitation. 
Okay. Um, and, and it also becomes the model for pretty much every East Asian uh, country um, in, in their sort of industrialization. Okay. Um, so by by the end of the 1930s, Manchu Kuo's uh, industrial sector is one of the most advanced um, in the world. Uh, it makes really? it a it makes it like an industrial powerhouse in Asia. Mm. Well, I guess it, I should be surprised by that. It's 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 essentially working on on the theory that workers aren't people; they're just well, they they have a larger workforce, and they can also just sort of like in the same way the Soviet Union was able to go from like very little to like being one of the greatest industrial powers in the world at that time was was just sort of like when you don't have to carry about you know like civil liberties or the well-being of your people, you know, you, you can accomplish a lot. When you don't give a fuck about civil liberties or the liberties of your people, Mother Russia, we benefit. For, for instance, um, by the time, um, by that time in the 1930s, uh, steel production in Manchuria had exceeded Japan's. Holy shit. That's um, impressive. So uh, many of the cities in Manchuria over that, um, over that time period, um, they become more modernized, um, but um, the the countries are the 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 area's economy is still uh, subordinated to Japan, um, and uh, when uh, China or when Japan invades China, um, most of its raw materials flow into Japan to support the war effort as opposed to going into uh, Manchurian industries. Gotcha. Okay, um, and a lot of um, a lot of traditional uh, lands were taken away from local farmers, um, redistributed to uh, Japanese farmers, um, and those local farmers were forced into collective farming units um, in, in smaller areas of land. That's shitty. Why? I mean, okay. I mean, I get Cause, why they did it. Because but... one of the things is, is that Japan has a has a large population problem during this time period. They still um, do. It, yeah, they, like right now, yeah, they're still hurting. Like to this day, they still it's, do. They're still taking yeah, even a even with the decline and in the, the population. Abe upset about it. You know what? Um, this, listen, this is what I'm willing to do. I am willing to take one for the team and go over to Japan and single handedly stop it. <laughs> stop it. We don't need. They don't need Gainesville's latest women that would take it. <laughs> we don't need you going to Japan and committing grave Maywakus. <laughs> what? Um, uh, Maywaku is like a. It's like a, a like a thing that causes you to lose face. It's like a very embarrassing like <laughs> social like so- social situation. Yeah, they have like a social principle over there of Maywaku. Where like- here's the deal. Here, like, listen. Here's people, a deal. To 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 get the, to have this happen, this Maywaku or whatever, you need shame. Of which I have none. And that's what they have. That, that, that's basically what <laughs> I have no shame, so that, that doesn't work with me. <laughs> um, so one of one of the areas of agriculture that Manchuria gets big into, though, um, is uh, opium. All right, now I'm listening. Um, so uh, one of the things that, that hasn't been mentioned yet about uh, Manchuria is, is that Manchu Kuo... Is, is possibly one of the world's first narco states. It took you an hour and 20 minutes to get to this part? Man, goddamn, Steve, we gotta talk about your timing. You gotta come faster to this. Uh, <laughs> I am here for this now. Narco states, let's go. Um, so in November of 1932, um, uh, the Mitsui uh, Zaibatsu was given a, a state uh, monopoly on the on the farming of poppies. Um, and, and one of the reasons why they do this is they kind of claim that... Um, is that this will prevent like 
heavy local use. That because the Japanese are managing the growing of the poppy, it prevents the local growers from, from sort of just selling it on, on an almost like open market. Oh, selling it. Okay, I thought you meant using it. And I was like, ha! No, selling. Okay. Uh, ja- Japanese in-, in Manchuria are not allowed to smoke opium. And, and if you are caught smoking opium as a Japanese citizen, you lose your Japanese citizenship. You're no um, longer Japanese. In-, in Manchuria, you become a stateless person. That'd be great. Um, oh, shit. That- that's almost a punishment worse than capital punishment. Which, by the way, I don't agree with at all. But I mean, like to become a stateless person because you can't do anything like they, they'll be yeah, you're just you could non- travel yep. yeah you're like a non-entity that would be sh- oh wow fuck okay um so between 1934 and 1935 um they uh they farmed about um 190 square miles um of of fields with uh poppies and it yielded about uh uh, 1.1 uh, tons of uh, of raw poppy. What? Um, so, even though at this time uh, Manchuria is like uh, sort of um, sort of soil, um, an area leads itself very well to the growing of poppies, and there was actually a large sort of like black market trade of, of poppy farming, um, in, in sort of the same way you know that like cocaine farming is uh, in like places like Colombia, mm-hmm. but Colombia has the, cocaine. The United States has marijuana. Afghanistan yes. has poppies as well as China. It has something to do with the par- uh, whatever parallel that they sit on. That 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 temperate zone. A- a- apparently, of the the, the soil composition in Manchuria is what makes it uh, good for uh, poppies. Well, it's going to be that. It's going to be the parallel that it sits on because of the temperate zone. Because you cannot grow poppies in areas that it is incredibly cold. You actually have to have some heat to grow poppies. So, they're able to, to sort of, like, dominate the That's trade. That's the total um, number of steps you're allowed to give for opium growth on the podcast before we have to edit it out. <laughs> Next week, like, if we you, have steps two and three. Like, it's like a show where, like, they build a bomb. Like, you can't <laughs> tell me exactly how to do it or else we're gonna get a call you just have to be like look you need cordite you need tannanite you need nails <laughs> and next week tune in and i'll tell you how to make the casing yeah and it, it involves liverwurst you wouldn't believe it <laughs> and head cheese basically what it is is um. if you want to blow something up then go get some liverwurst and eat some and you just won't want to blow anything up anymore except the bathroom you know? <laughs> just get um, taco bell yeah. <laughs> so the the opium the, the opium trade is sort of controlled by a secret uh, merchant group uh, called the uh, uh, the Niki uh, Sansusuke, um, who who sort of uh, sort of control how the opium industry goes. Um, they include um, uh, Jeff Phil Naoki, Naoki uh, Hoshino, um, <laughs> who, who's a who's a army um, thinker. Um, Hideki Tojo, um, a, a army politician. Um, uh, Nobusuke Kishi, uh, Kishi, um, who's the the head of the um, the the sort of the economic model and grandfather of of Shinzo Abe, and also future prime minister of Japan, um, uh, Yosuke uh, Matsuoka, uh, another army um, an, another uh, army member, and also the foreign affairs vice minister, um, Yoshisuke um, Ayukawa. Um, a, a chairman of the uh, the, the Manchukuo uh, Zaibatsu, um, and 
Fusanosuke uh, Kuhara, who's a uh, like a right wing um, political thinker. Uh, the monopoly generated uh, profits of between twenty to thirty million yen per year. So I just want to go back real quick. You said one name that actually stuck out to me, Hideki Tojo. Is yes. he the guy that's in that really famous picture with him and that really big pencil neck dweeb looking guy who they called like a monster or some shit? I'm down there, Charles Atlas. Well, I remember this from high school. Specifically. Well, Hideki, Hideki Tojo was the prime minister of Japan during World War II. Okay. Um, I mean, he's the, it, the bald guy it, with the glasses. So then it's probably is because I specifically remember this picture from high school that it was like him and some pencil neck dweeb guy. And they called the dweeb guy some like the architect um, of like Manchu quote. Like he was the guy that designed it and he just looked like this huge fucking dweeb. It's probably Kishi. Maybe. I don't know. That's a lot of medals that Mr. Tojo has on his chest. Yeah. Like, he, he, there's so many that they overlap. A lot of these guys have uh, the metal, like, uh, metal fest on the front of their shirt. I forget what it's called. There's a name for it. Yeah, that dude. Yeah, it's Kishi. There's a picture with the two of them. It's the only thing I remember about this area, like, pre-World War, like, the lead-up in the World War Two. It's actually after World War Two begins, but... That's yes. it. That, that's it. That's the, yeah, that's it. Kishi is uh, there. There's actually a spoken word thing that refers to him as the uh, the vampire of Showa. He looks like a fucking nerd, man. Is this the same and, guy who uh, wanted to swirly earlier? Is this the same guy? Possibly. Um, he he likes to. We'll we'll, we'll get into a, a little about him in the in the second half okay. about some of his uh, his habits uh, that that maybe sort of inspired Abe. Um, so, what kind of this habits sort are we of, talking about? What? What kind of habits are we talking his, about? His 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 sexual proclivities. He likes mm. he likes to fuck. <laughs> that alone is not going to make me look at this man any different because he likes. Oh to no fuck. no! I need, like, he, more. Like like to a degree that's like like insane like. Okay. Like like multiple like. What's wrong like, with that? Like multiple times like a day. But he's not. Like, but he's not, uh, he's not crunching numbers. He can't get anything done. That's what it is. What? What the fuck do you mean? It's gonna take me six minutes out of my day to fuck yeah, twice a day. Yeah, and then you need. Are you fucking you need kidding? like at least no, a half an like, hour, hour after like, that to recuperate mentally, and then you know if you're. It's if like you're five. Just... It's like five, six times a day, and like to the point that when he was in that when he was in captivity, he would he would constantly complain about not being able to have sex. So he's one of the dudes just a chronic jerk offer when he's in captivity. He's just jerking off all day long and the guards hate him. Probably. <laughs> um so in in Manchu Kuo, um the the military uh all all members of the military are prohibited of using um uh, opium and and other drugs um that are based on opium. They they also become like the, the epicenter of like heroin and um, and what should we call it? Um, I love those candy bars. <laughs> there's there's heroin and what else comes from heroin, opium, and, opium. Yeah, but um, they they become like the world's like like they are the state that that supplies most of the world's like opium and like heroin and other refined forms of opium. That's um, during that time period. That's crazy to me. 
Because I've um, always thought opium as coming from Afghanistan and the Middle East. To think that it comes from the very northeastern part of China was crazy. That's crazy. So the the military has that rule that you know if you use it, you lose your Japanese citizenship. But they they fully believe in using it as um, as as using it as a as a demoralization weapon against the Chinese uh, people and other races that they deem inferior. How so? Like like essentially like. Like the Ronald Reagan, like if you fill the inner city with like crack, like like it's the same thing. Like if if you just flood Chinese cities with opium and everybody's like doing opium and heroin, like they're not going to put up much of a resistance to you when you come in. Ah, uh, okay. All right, I got you. All um, right. So, uh, one of the one of the per, uh, participants of that group, um, Naoki. Uh, uh, Hoshino, he was able to uh, to negotiate a very large loan um, from a Japanese bank or from Japanese banks using a lien on the profits from uh, the Opium Monopoly Bureau as collateral. Um, because um, so one of their uh, one of their estimates of their um, of their revenue from from narcotics is estimated about three hundred million yen per year uh, for the Japanese military. Yes. Holy fuck! How much yen is that so, um, in uh, those like comparatively? Like, is that a lot of yen for the time period? It's it's comparable to the dollar, I believe, during this period. When oh. you told me earlier, two hundred million dollars or two hundred million yen was the equivalent of two hundred million dollars, I actually went to Google and I did the conversion to today's money. So two hundred million dollars is very. It's like five point nine. It's almost. It's like five point nine billion. It's almost six billion dollars in today's money. Jesus. So. Yeah, that's a lot of fucking money. Um, and it's it's there's there's sort of a lot of debate on this. Um, uh, that that some will argue that that Japan's um sought as well to sort of like morally destroy Manchuria, um, by giving like free and artificially cheap uh, narcotics to to peasants. Um, a lot of times, you know, uh, the the people who sold um, opium would give like trial offers, um, mm-hmm. and and sort of junior doses. Um, for for children, yeah, um, and they would also sort of promote um, cheap prostitution and also the breaking up of families. Not um, okay. And uh, Edgar Snow, who's like a writer from this period, he he went like he's the one who wrote Red Star over China. Like he went and hung out with Mao and the Chinese communists. Like when he came through uh, and wrote about uh, Manchuria. He said that like one of the things was that it was just like a very like depressing place, and he said one of the common sounds of it was like people lighting up like opium pipes. That's um, so sad. And and, and Perna- Alexander Pernikov, one of the historians that argues this, um, he maintains that they did this because it was more it was more subtle and effective than like jail torture and murdering people. I mean, it's definitely more subtle. Efficacy um, could be argued, but definitely more subtle. And the uh, the the League of Nations as well um, sort of sees Japan as as sort of um, sort of like uh, being the world's like uh, drug pusher as well um, because of due to their um, and they also claim during this time period a League of Nations uh, report um, claimed that Japan was producing ninety percent of the world's illicit drugs. Hmm. Um, and even though the Japanese say that their system was designed um, to control drug abuse, that, then actually it's encouraging it. 
Um, I would almost would... say that they're 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 actually following the rules of a good drug dealer. Is you don't get high on your own supply. You just supply everybody else and make money from. Yeah. It. Um, uh, Puyi would claim in his autobiography that one sixth of uh, Manchukuo's uh, state revenue came from opium. Um, Jesus and most, Christ. And most of the imperial court was addicted to it, including his wife, um, who was she was such a bad opium addict that she couldn't actually like stand a lot of the time. So, okay, so basically, it's a fuckfest, an opium smoking, just free for all, in Manchukuo at this. Well, well, one of the one of the reasons why they probably wrote this as well because they're working people to death in like factories. Uh huh. So like. So like copping heroin or whatever is like, is like what you do so you can get your like six hours of sleep or whatever, or like. But okay, you know. so if you're not a factory worker, if you're not one of the Han Chinese, if you're one of the rich, you know what I'm saying? If you're one of the privileged, one of the elite assholes, all you're doing is just smoking opium and fucking all day long in Manchukuo. Probably just smoking opium. I don't. I don't think you can fuck a lot on opium. Steve, tell me more about opium that you. <laughs> That's crazy. This is so it's a party state. It's a party state except for the people that have to work there because they're not it's, privileged. Yeah, it's a it's a narco state. Okay. Um and so at uh, the way the the way the industry sort of uh, works out is that um Japanese are employed as chemists, wholesalers and importers. Uh, while while Koreans and and Chinese uh, run the retail shops at the street level that sell um, that that sell opium and opium based products, opium um, and opium accessories. I tell you, I tell, tell you, you what. what. I tell you what. I got the best opium and opium based accessories around this part. He like combined um, Boomhauer with Hank. That was weird. I mean, I can't do, like, one or the other. I talk fast, and I can also talk with a southern accent. <laughs> I can't split the two. <laughs> and what happens in the opium trade as well is that the, the Kempeitai, which is the, the military police, which is sort of um, analogous to, like, the Gestapo in, um, in Germany, and the special uh, service section, which was army intelligence, um, they take over the manufacture of heroin and morphine um, in... Um, in that region of, of China and also elsewhere, and they drive out the last European firms that had been doing that in the region. Okay. I mean, fair. They're very nationalistic, so I can imagine this um, is very in line with what they want. The the private local heroin manufacturers who operated in the region um, that were able to, to sort of, like, survive, um, they eventually, like, come under the army. Like, they, they come to terms with them and work under them. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so what they do is, um, you sort of have this, um, thing where they're sort of saying where they're, they're aggressively controlling and pushing this industry and, and like sort of refining, uh, opium into morphine and heroin, which, which they're then selling to people in, in Manchukuo and elsewhere. Um, but they're also beginning this like extensive media campaign to condemn the recreational use of, of opiates. Okay. Um, and, um. And one I was, of the, I, well, I guess I was actually going to ask you: were, were they actually refining it into more or into morphine? Yes, into morphine and heroin. Okay, so heroin for the poor people, morphine for the rich. They they yeah. could afford the cleaner version. Okay, all right. Wow. Um. So, 
one of the things schemes they try to do is they try to issue licenses for people to use uh, morphine. That was sort of like a weed card where you would have to sort of like pay a tax and you could smoke opium. Uh, but what they found was that um, addicts were reluctant to, to register because they didn't want to pay taxes um, or be subject to uh, some form of uh, punishment like compulsory labor. Assholes just ruin it for everybody else. Bro, I get it, you know? Who wants to pay taxes? Um, and, and, the, and the public as well, they, they see what's happening and they don't really trust the Japanese as well. Like, they know that the Japanese are pushing... Um, that, they're, that they're pushing opium while telling you not to do opium. Yeah, right. Um, the um, uh, Dalian, which is like we, we the main... We're talking about crack, right? We're talking about crack in the 80s? Pushing crack, telling you not to do crack, right? Yeah. Uh, um, oh, oh, Japan, sorry. Opium, my bad, sorry. So, I got it too easily confused. It's the exact same fucking thing about a hundred years difference. So uh, the the city of Dalian, which is actually like sort of like Hong Kong, where it's actually Japanese territory, um, it was it was sort of transformed into an opium uh, smuggling center uh, for Asia, um, and it also had the the highest annual consumption rates of morphine and cocaine in the world. Fuck. At, I was and what year was this? Period. I was born the wrong time. This is in the 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 thirties, like mid thirties. That's probably why nobody cared. Um. So, like, because the League of Nations did complain, like, like they did, but it's also one of those things. Like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to stop? It's them? also right around World War Two, so they had some other things to worry about. Yeah, um, like oh, opium. Well, and, yeah, whatever and, the fuck ever. Hitler. And, this, this Austrian dude is getting real mad. We need to take care of him first. And the the League of Nations was is was more toothless than like. People complain about how toothless the United Nations are. The League of Nations was even more toothless. Oof, that's bad. Um, uh, Chinese critics, uh, they, they sort of, um, they, they call what, what Japan is doing as a bloodless means of killing the people. Um, and uh, Dalian uh, begins to be called the, uh, the ash heap of, of Mukden um, because of all of the, uh, because of all the dead and dying addicts um, that, that live there. Okay. That's crazy. Um, so, so one thing they try to do is they, they try to um, ex- expand and, and revise the opium law. Um, so what they do is they, they first they place it even more securely under Japanese domination. Um, and in December of 1937, um, they issue Imperial Ordinance uh, number 487, which establishes the state retail sales system, um, which would not allow uh, private trade of, of opium by licensed traders, that so you would have to go to a essentially a state store in order to buy uh, to buy uh, drugs. Absolutely um, no problem with that. And, go and, the contr- and this was managed within uh, municipalities, uh, counties, and, and banners. Absolutely no problem I see with this, and, and not even sarcastically. Like, I don't see a problem with that. State-run... If you can do it legally, and the state wants to say, "Hey, we're going to be in control of this," fine. Th- Fuck this it. would Just give be, my drugs, whatever. This this would be done in this way uh, for a a ten year period um, that would have ended in 1947 if the state had lasted that long. Oh wait a minute, Manchu Quo didn't even last till the, like 1947. Well, the Soviet Union invades in 1945. <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> at the at the end of uh, World War Two. Damn. Um, okay, so so episode two is what you're saying is episode two is going to be real fast. It's going to just be. 
we'll, we'll talk about the the court politics and stuff that, okay. that went on the the war and then um, I was say, the, we're like the, the Soviet late 30s invasion. right now so if the Soviet Union invades in World War II ooh this this next episode is going to be like <laughs> real quick like <laughs> um so the 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 state retail system was established uh, officially um on January 1st 1938 um it had 1867 um uh, private establishments that were that were co-opted or dissolved and it left um, 1,363 state-owned companies. Sounds like fucking Denver. <laughs> All of a sudden, um, weed's legalized, and there's 6,000 new dispensaries that just open up around the and, state. And now, and now that they have this more the, the system that requires you know more compliance because you have to buy it from a a state store instead of getting it from a private vendor. Right. Um, it's still estimated that only uh, less than half of of addicts actually registered and, and got their like opium registration. Well, okay, wait, let me ask you. Okay, so did the opium come from the state or were the stores state-owned? or were they All of it. All of it is. All of it is. All okay. of it is. Okay, all right. Um, so uh, three years later, if this was implemented, uh, colonial officials uh, would still maintain that there was uh, roughly about one million addicts, um, though they hadn't actually done any, like, thorough surveys. Is it just how they feel, basically? And they're like, yo, there, there can't be more than a million. They're the Trump uh, uh, assessment of wealth. I feel like I'm worth about a billion and, today. So and you know. and almost it, and almost like a page out of a Philip K. Dick uh, novel. Um, Would you call me? You heard him. They <laughs> they they began like a rehabilitation program for addicts, where they instituted um, these uh, healthy life institutes. Um. And even though they, they sort of make these, like, rehab places, uh, the, the officials even conceded, you know, that they weren't really up for the prospect. Um, it's just and, rehab for and the, the rehabilitation. Well, the rehabilitation programs ranged from um, just sort of, like, forced withdrawal and, and harm reduction strategies to forced labor. But it's specifically for opium, then, correct? Yeah, for, for opiate addiction. Um, and it... Um, and... It was believed that uh, each attic would have to do about 50 days. Um, so uh, one of the things, though, about opium is is that if you have a sudden withdrawal from using opiates, it can, it can like, kill yeah, you. Yeah, it'll kill you. Yes, it can. Yeah. Um, so let, then, me, let, me, let me hop in real quick. Uh, specifically, you see this with Narcan, or as it may commonly also be known as Naloxone, which is the opiate uh, agonist, I believe the term is correctly uh, used, uh, where it's an opiate reversal agent. Um, the problem is if you give um, Narcan too fast, uh, you will have a couple different conditions, one which is known as flash pulmonary edema, where your lungs will basically fill with fluid um, and, and you can effectively drown um, if, if you're not corrected real fast. So when we're on the ambulance, what we're trying to do is when we push Narcan, it's very, very slow. Um, also, one of the concerns that we run into is if you push it too fast, you will what you're doing is removing the high like like that needs to be like said you're removing the high immediately right so if you do this too fast uh, another thing that can happen is you'll come up and you just you're just throwing up the, the patient is just uncontrollably throwing up and vomiting so one of the concerns with that is aspiration where you're vomiting and it, you know you take this huge breath and you inhale you know what I'm saying so you 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 aspirate vomit and you choke and you know it's another thing that we worry about so Jeez. 
reversal of opiates is 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 very like you have to be careful with it you can't just immediately take it out of the system and it, it kind of works the same way with the withdrawals when you start to withdraw from opiates you will have things like uncontrollable vomiting uh you know you will have almost like alcohol if you've ever seen someone withdrawing from alcohol with like you know the with the with the tremens the that go DTs. on it, it's sim yeah it's similar but it's almost just it's similar to the effects, but it's just 10 times worse. You know what I'm saying? It's something that you have to, like, closely monitor. Closely. Because you will kill somebody with, you know, giving too much Narcan or giving Narcan too fast or just, you know, that withdrawal without actually physically letting the body withdraw on its own to, to an effect or to a point. Um, this has been your Medical Minute with Ryan. And then, too, with, like, the harm reduction aspect where, you know, they're giving them, like, tapered-off doses, they're, they're still enabling addicts, um, and... But you have to. Like, you can't you can't just ice somebody on an opiate or narcotic. Yeah, but, but it's still... step down. But it's still the fact that, you know, they're your dealers, too. That the same people that are selling you the opium and enabling you are, are now just, like, stringing you right. along... And it's also the fact that after... If, they, if they're able to survive this process, which, you know, many don't, um, these places are seen as places where like people people get sent off to and they don't come back. Uh, and if they do if they do come back, um, it, it was estimated by the state um, that seven out of ten uh, patients relapsed in the most like positive estimates. Not even surprised. Um, so just think just think of America. Just think of the, the oxycodone epidemic here. Just think about that. Just think about oxycodone and opiates in America. It's it's very it's bad, man. It's very bad. So, to to end off here, um, you, you sort of have this state that is uh, that's founded that that's sort of like a fake country. It, it's sort of claiming to be an independent uh, nation that's actually like a Japanese colony. Um, it is the world's largest producer of opium and heroin, and it's also like this sort of totalitarian, like factory state-controlled um, economic state as well. That that becomes like turbo turbo salary man level, like like work conditions. Wow. Would you say opium is their number one export? Uh, probably since it accounts for like one sixth of their um, GDP. Yeah. <laughs> Where would they even export it to? Fucking everywhere. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? I mean, me? but like these countries China, didn't want to. Like, they didn't um, block it or anything like that. It's, listen, it's morphine. Remember, morphine is synthesized from opium. Well, so, a lot of a lot of countries use uh, use morphine as a as like a pain reducer, um, and then too, you know, it gets on the the black market. It goes into other other places that aren't regulated, um, into mainland China, um, other places as well. Until you had the advent of hydromorphone, aka Dilaudid, uh, morphine was your prime opiate narcotic. And now you don't have to use morphine, even though it is an opiate derivative. It's just it's chemically synthesized, so it's not actually made directly from opiates. If that makes any sense. Mm, yeah, I get it. But I mean, morphine is for the 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 latter part, or actually the entirety of the 20th century pain reduction. Morphine is what you had. There were no fucking Flora tabs in the early 1900s. It was it was fucking morphine. That's crazy. But it's. It's like the uh, the cocaine of the era. Yeah. Because remember, all the jazz singers were, were doing it, too. Well, because cocaine was your analgesic, right? 
morphine was your your post operation like everybody was just drugged the fuck up in the 1900s the early 1900s it was, so this is what killed you know like billy holiday and charlie parker and all them like we eh. talked about eh. it's amazing everybody was on drugs it's fucking amazing <laughs> nuts all right <laughs> next week the opium wars no <laughs> <laughs> till next time later this four luck was kicking in. I hate myself. Bye. <laughs>